week's episode is brought to you by Support the Mountain's Herbal Parasite Cleanse. This formula targets the small and large intestinal tracts and larvae, the most broad-spectrum formula available today. 100% organic, formulated by Dr. Mikio Sanki, author of the Esoteric Acupuncture Series. For 10% off your first bottle, visit shopyogahub.com and use the coupon code CLEANSE at checkout. Hello and welcome to YHTV's nominated show, Magical Medical Tour. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Christina Suzuma, and with me is our wonderful medical guide, Dr. Glenn Woolman. Hello, Dr. Woolman. Hello, Christina. (laughs) (laughs) You're smiling already. Ah, yes, of course. I'm always smiling. You should know that by now. That's good. Smiling, <laughs> even laughing. When the, even when the shows get really serious, I'm, I have this giggly, serious laugh that is like, oh, I can't believe it was with what some of the guests share with us. You know, the how intricate or how intense the situation is. I can't do anything but giggle. <laughs> That's true. Uh, I- a serious giggle. I like that. A serious giggle. Sort of an oxymoron. <laughs> of course, that would be you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Magical Medical Tour. I'm Dr. Glenn Wallman. I will be your medical guide today, along with Christina, as we travel through another quadrant of the healthcare galaxy, searching for optimal health. Today is very special for us. We have a show that includes a group of people in a roundtable discussion, which uh, we've been talking about for a long time, and I will be happy to introduce all of the people in our discussion. But before we do that, Christina, in case anybody wants to send in a question or make a comment, would you tell them how to do that? Absolutely. At any time during our show, you can feel free to make a comment, ask a question. Um, we definitely really enjoy receiving them from our audience. Um, simply scroll down on your screen and type it into the comment box and be sure to click submit. Now, there's another way for you to do so if you're listening on an iPod or some device. If you're listening to um, our podcast, you can just give us a call at 818-LET'S-TALK. 818-LET'S-TALK. Be sure to leave your contact information for us so we know how to get back to you. Thank you, Glenn. Uh, you're quite welcome. So we have talked about a, uh, a roundtable, having a number of people on a discussion, and I couldn't think of a better group to have with us today. My introduction will start with uh, the lady to my right, who is Mrs. Charing Chozom from the Mensikang Institute in Dharamsala, India. She is the chief astrologer at the Institute in the Department of Astronomy and Astrology. To her right is Dr. Sonam Dolma, who is also at Mensikang Institute. And she has, aside from practicing medicine, she also has translated two books from the fundamental text of Tibetan medicine into English. Both she and uh, Chozom, Dr. Mrs. Chozom, have uh, traveled around the world giving consultations, lectures, and short courses uh, on the Tibetan systems of medicine. Next to her is Kelly Huttar, Hutter, who is the, on the core faculty of Pacifica uh, Graduate Institute and the chair of the Somatic Studies Program. She also practices Chinese medicine 
which she learned in uh, Seattle and Shanghai. She's been a student of Buddhism for several decades. Recently, she was invited to the Dalai Lama's uh, Mind and Life Summer Research Fellowship Program in Garrison, New York. And this fall, she will be traveling to Dharamsala to offer acupuncture to Tibetan nuns of uh, one of the nunneries in Dharamsala. And next to her is a longtime favorite of uh, Yoga Hub TV and Magical Medical Tour, Dr. David Kumes, who has been with us on the virtual conference. He also also been interviewed on Magical Medical Tour and I believe on Trinity of Life. He's a Stanford-trained and board-certified urologist. He's also been initiated as a Sangoma, or traditional healer, in South Africa in 2002 and practices traditional African medicine out of his home um, in uh, Santa Barbara, California. So this is the group of people that we have, and I think we're going to have some great conversations. I would like to personally welcome all of you, along with Christina, and we go from there. Welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for honoring us here in our global community. And we're very excited to start. I can't, I don't have a ball to bounce on, Len. <laughs> we should have gotten you one. I have I one know. here. So I would like to start Sonam with you sure. for just a moment. Um, you're traveling to this country, you travel around the world, and you're speaking, you're, you lecture, and you communicate with other colleagues and with the general public. What is it that you would like to bring to the table here today that will enlighten us as to how we should be thinking about Tibetan medicine and world medicine? Well, it's a wide subject, difficult for me to abridge it. However, uh, let me tell you that uh, Tibetan medicine is very subjective and the modern allopathic school medicine is very objective. So obviously in most of the oriental tradition, we are very subjective. So this is one parameter how we can do the comparative studies between the Tibetan medicine and the modern school medicine. And another parameter how we can distinguish between these two great systems of medicine is Tibetan medicine look at body as a whole, as an integral whole, not just as part or specific part only. In a way, we uh, look at a body and mind as one integral whole, not polarize the mind and body into two different ends of a corner. And uh, whereas in school medicine, uh, if I'm not mistaken, that you're more focused on more subject, more specific, and more on a very uh, part level. Uh, and Tibetan medicine looks on a more wider arena, whereas school medicine, you have different departments, different arena, different uh, section, different lobby. So that's how you see the world into different uh, system of medicine. Searing? You work in astronomy and astrology, correct? So part of that is also in healing. How do you see what you bring to the table for people to know? What is it that you want us to know about what you do that's important for our healing? From one point, I'm thinking that, you know, in terms of treatment, uh, especially in terms of, you know, having surgery and all those. Since uh, in our tradition, you know, we use uh, the vital energy, you know, consider very important 
and uh, the water energy, you know, races uh, on a certain spot during, uh, you know, lunar days. So that is very important that, you know, whenever the uh, water energy races at a particular place, you know, at that particular place that any kind of, you know, surgery or bloodletting and, you know, that kind of stuff should be avoided. So I think this is, you know, one thing that, you know, which will be very helpful to be considered. That's a great piece of, of <laughs> advice. I know that we very rarely, maybe Dr. Kumes uh, looks at things like that a lot more, but I know that most of the time in our world, we don't even think of those things. And I think that's a great process. Callie, in, psych in somatic psychology, certainly deals with healing. Mm -hmm. What is your program that you think that we need to know to bring health to all of us? Well, that is also a very big question. Um, I only ask big questions. <laughs> yes. Christina asked the smarter that. questions. I just asked the big ones. <laughs> um, you know, I think that the program right now at Pacifica is very new. It's bringing together the traditions of depth psychology, which is uh, Jungian psychology primarily in our school, which focuses on the unconscious contents of our consciousness. Um, Primarily by looking at our dreams and how our dreams are uh, the keepers of our wisdom. And actually, when we begin to really delve into uh, the unconscious and, and spending time with and looking at our images and our dreams and looking at the metaphors that come from our dreams, we can actually find that inner healer. And... Um, in our program right now, in the Somatic Studies program, I think one of the emphasis that we have, and I do in particular, is bringing in people like Dr. David Humes, who have not only a grounding in Western allopathic medicine, but also indigenous traditions as well. But I'm, I'm also very deeply interested in the Eastern traditions, um, particularly the Tibetan medicine traditions, because of their emphasis on compassion and healing through uh, the heart. Um, so that's my main interest in the somatics program right now. Boy, I'm already thinking of thousands of questions, <laughs> and I already know that we don't have enough time. <laughs> Dr. Kumes, you... As Callie suggested and I brought up in the initial introduction, you have this very unique process of being a surgeon, a Western-trained surgeon, and also a traditional healer. And how do you bring those two together in a process to take care of your patients? And also, in terms of the bigger picture of medicine itself, what do you think needs to be added to medicine? Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> Western medicine, uh, so-called scientifically based medicine, which is not that scientific and evidence-based as they would like to think it should be, and it neglects the spiritual side of the whole question. And like I'm hearing from these ladies is that uh, uh, African medicine addresses the spiritual side of, of disease. So you've got to be holistic. So I kind of wear two hats. On the one hand, I do... Western medicine pretty mechanically. But on the other hand, for those that are interested, I will go to spiritual sources that are outside of me. I would probably call them best field sources. Africans would call them the ancestors. 
you can give me information not localized in space and time that can help me with my decisions. And if patients choose to come, then I think we know we have different African techniques that, that essentially through the throwing divination bones, you can make a, a psycho-spiritual diagnosis, which is very helpful to the patient because there are diseases in, uh, I'm sure, in your medicine and, and African medicine that are not even recognized by, by Western medicine and will never get better unless they are diagnosed correctly, and those can be corrected easily. You know, that brings up a very interesting point. Uh, we see so many people that are involved in Western medicine that continuously go in to doctors to be evaluated, more tests are done, more medications are given, and we just keep that process going, and it doesn't seem like we move to that next level the, the next level might be simple life changes that we talk about in many cases, but even beyond life changes, there are spiritual changes that need to be included in healing. And everybody seems to be in some form of agreement that the uh, holistic approach is one of the main things that needs to be brought to world medicine today. Sonam, what kind of a question what que what question do you have when you come to this country that really burns in your heart that you want to know why we do something one way or why we're not doing something is is there something that really concerns you about our practice of medicine that you would like us to talk about today generally uh the thing that really pricks me deep down when visiting western country who are blessed with a lot of facilities, I would say, is why they're still not so happy. <laughs> As we all laugh. Yeah. Uh, I see many people moving around in beautiful cars, living in uh, beautiful houses, going out with beautiful children. But deep inside, uh, I don't feel that genuine happiness. And then we come across a lot of people sick people, like we visit different homes, we talk about family matters, and uh, the happiness is not that pronounced. So this one thing, uh, the question always lingering in my mind, why can't people find happiness despite having lots? And in the Western medical system, the question I have is uh, not really, I would not... Uh, question the expertise itself, but uh, I was thinking why are the Western, I, I would not blame every Western doctors, but I was just thinking why some doctors become so, so much subjected to materialism, I mean in a sense, uh, what is it, dependent on the uh, investigation of the modern sophisticated gadgets uh, why are they so alienated from the what is a feeling of the patient and why do they always have to depend only on the medical reports and uh, not give a higher value of attention on the patient's grievances that that that's a big question I'm I always have in my mind and it's also a question which uh, I normally come across when I'm dealing with patients who are who have very sad experience with uh, few 
allopathic doctors and system of medicine? Great question. Kelly, I would like to ask you the first part of that about why we're not happy. And then, Dave, I would like to ask you the part about why why doctors are so focused on the the blood tests and the imaging, et cetera. So, Kali, how about an answer? Yeah, big question again. Um, but I would agree with Dr. Sonam very much that we're not happy in general as a culture. It's uh, pretty apparent to me as well as both an acupuncturist as well as a psychologist as well as a faculty member at a school where I see many students and faculty um, in addition to patients who come in who are disconnected, I would say, from their own inner source of well-being. And it it is because we uh, value so much the material in our culture and uh, we we rely so heavily on our material gadgets. And I include myself very much in that. I can get uh, caught up on that as much as anyone else. And I'm heavily dependent on my car and my computer. But I also know that uh, I need to take time to uh, have my meditation practice. I need to have time to develop my spiritual um, uh, practice in a way that is my greatest resource. And I do think that we as a culture can learn that. Uh, and I think we are at a tipping point. So in your mind, uh, obtaining the happiness aside from many things has to include a spiritual and meditative practice. Yeah, it, it the spiritual practice of sorts that recognizes that we are all interdependent and that mm-hmm. we coexist and that mm-hmm. um, we do not exist in isolation. And I think that that, that is what the material uh, trajectory leads us to, is this illusion that we are separate and that we can do things unconsciously without thinking that there are consequences to our actions. And I think that if we don't start to deeply reflect on our, all of our actions, including what, what we say, uh, how, we, how we look at someone else when they're walking by us on the street, that um, we, we matter, everyone matters. And if we don't deeply take that into our heart and really consider the other, then we will remain unhappy and ill. I think that was a great answer. How did you feel about that? Completely agree with you. Completely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, good. And Dave? Must have gotten the question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Are you happy? Let's ask the first question. Are you happy? I'm content. Oh, you're content. I'm content. Yeah. So I know that I had mm. the opportunity uh, a few months ago or a while ago to accompany a uh, a good friend to the emergency department who was having a problem. They were having headaches and uh, we were concerned about it. I went over to look at them and I thought it was worth uh, evaluating more deeply. So we went to the emergency department and the doctor that came in went over by a computer and stayed about three to four feet away from uh, our friend, uh, her patient, and took the whole history uh, while looking at the computer 
And so that to me, while I was watching that, I was thinking about when I was in the emergency department, it was hands-on everywhere. Uh, so that was a, a prime example of how we're moving away. The question really is, why do we depend so much on the blood tests and the scientific analysis rather than the uh, analysis that we learned, taking a great history, doing great phys physical and coming up with an answer? Well, the problem is we're becoming more and more reductionistic as technology sort of escalates tremendously. We've got robotic surgery now where you, you can even sit in India and do an operation in New York without actually ever talking to the patient. It's kind of scary. So <clears throat> what's really happening is we've, we've married into an old model, the so-called Newtonian model that served us very well. I mean, Western medicine is amazing. It's miraculous, but it has to move to the next model, which is more of a quantum model. What you said earlier is subjective experience matters. You know, they know that if you look at a, a, a particle, it changes the behavior of a particle. So clearly a, a doctor or healer can change the behavior of the placebo response depending on, you know, how they, they react to the patient. We all basically are just particles, you know, rotating in empty space. So until we make the transition from this reductionist Newtonian outdated model, which shouldn't be taken away, still needs to exist, to the new quantum, if you want to call it quantum, spiritual, psychospiritual, energetic, field medicine, whatever you want to call it, we, we're going to get worse and worse. It's going to get worse because um, you know, money dictates what happens and a robot costs $2 million. And if they can make a lot of money, they're going to make sure that a robot gets out there, even though, you know, there are some advantages. I'm not trying to say that there's not advantages, but there are tremendous disadvantages. Nurses are busy filling in the computers, whereas they are the ones who used to do the healing before. They don't have time for it anymore. So that's a problem. We have to shift from an old to a newer model. How are we going to do that? We all seem to be talking about trajectories here, and unless we move to another trajectory, uh, things are going to change. We're, we're becoming, in a way, addicted to all of these things. You know, the, I mean, the, as you said, the MRI, to look at that MRI scanner versus an, a plain film x-ray from years ago, there's so much more information. So the addiction to getting all of these tests, how are we going to do that? Do we deal with that the same way we deal with addictions? Well, I don't think you can stop the addiction, but I think what we can do is we can look at certain things, hopefully, and recognize the subjective value of these things and introduce them more and more. I almost see a dichotomy happening, whereas there'll be the allopathic reductionist mechanical medicine, kind of you go to like a plumber to fix your your, your tubing, you know. But then you're going to have to go to somebody else. A urologist else. would a urologist. use plumber, wouldn't Exactly. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was subconscious, actually. It makes it even more scary. <laughs> Callie, do you want to talk about his subconsciousness? <laughs> no, we'll, we'll wait we'll on that. We'll come back. Yeah. But anyway, we have to shift to maybe a, a dual system where there's people who will take care of the psycho-spiritual uh, because you can't expect a modern-day doctor to keep up with all the, the, the phenomena. But they have to recognize the value of the other side, of the shamanic, if you want, the psycho-spiritual. Until they realize that, then nothing is going to change. And the only way they'll realize that is when they can start to prove these things in some way or another, which is happening now and more, more and more. For instance, distant healing, there are numerous double-blind studies showing that prayer or distant healing from a remote area 
without the knowledge of the person, works so well that you sh- you'd be almost negligent to withhold it. But still, it hasn't reached mainstream. So eventually, there has to just be a consciousness shift where it becomes mainstream. And when it becomes popular and people recognize it and it's sexy, then they'll do it. But at the moment, it's not sexy. Less than 1% of the scientific community believe in paranormal phenomena, whereas they're well-proven, well-proven. And all the quantum physicists, Niels Bohr and these guys talked about it. You know, Einstein talks about it. But, you know, the people in the trenches, it's easy for them. It's probably a fear-based response. They want to have control. They want to have power. Anything that's outside of their power source, they want to reject. Do you think it'll ever be taught in the medical schools? It is being taught already, but the trouble with it, they're, taught, they're teaching alternative and complementary or integrated medicine. So they're looking at things like acupuncture where they do a double-blind study and they say, well, acupuncture doesn't work for this. And then they say, well, it's no good for that. Well, it, it can't be that way because it depends on who's giving the acupuncture and what that person bringing the acupuncture brings to that patient. And it's going to be very different for Kelly as opposed to somebody else, you know. Just like a shaman, some, you know, some shamans can generate an 80% placebo response in a patient, uh, whereas a doctor will negate the placebo response completely. So these are factors we have to consider that are so obvious and so true, but nobody pays any attention to them, not in the Western paradigm. Does anybody want to add something before we ask Saring a question? Uh, or maybe uh, it's a good uh, time to also add a little thing like uh, what Dr. Dave was just explaining about this shift. Uh, of course, the evaluation number is not so great to be appreciated, but still then half a loaf is better than no bread at all. So this trend of shifting that and realization of uh, uh, realization of having to recognize the spiritual part and the energy part is... Uh, It's a good thing. And uh, if you allow me, I would like to present uh, uh, one example of what uh, Dr. Richard Davidson was doing about uh, his lab was investigating his investigating healthy mind uh, in Wisconsin University. They have research on the effects of meditation on the brain's plasticity. So they have come up with a result about the neuroplasticity. Some 25 years back, it's a fast road. It's a golden stem that brain will never regenerate. And with this research, they have very strongly proven that brain can change. So this is one good example. And now uh, I'm also happy to um, let you know that Dr. Kabat-Zinn has also integrated very strongly the cognitive uh, Uh, experience of uh, mindfulness, cognitive, all these practices into school level. So these are some of the positive things that is also coming in, in what is it, in the academic lifestyle and more also on the clinical and research trends. So I'm happy, uh, despite uh, being sad about the major trend of how the scientific world uh, being so uh, cold and insensitive towards spiritualism and energy um, aspect. However, uh, I also have a great hope and aspiration and happy to share these happening to those people who are not aware of these happening. 
Sering, would you like to ask uh, a question of us based on the same thing that we've been speaking about for a while now? What is your process in terms of world medicine from an astrologer's and astronomer's point of view? How we in the West and how people around the world can look at medicine differently from your eyes? What question do you have for us? I have one thing uh, coming in my mind. Uh, I'm not going to go deeply into, you know, uh, Western medicine because I don't have that much knowledge. <laughs> you know, I just know very little about that. But, you know, with the practice, you know, I have come to learn from, my, you know, my client or, you know, people that I met. You know, when I, from astrological point, when I talk with them, they always feel like, you know, that whenever they have to go for, you know, I'm again coming, uh, going back to the surgery, you know, when they have to choose for us, you know, surgery case that, you know, just in case if they have to go for a knee surgery, you know, uh, in some countries, you know, they have day fixed for knee surgery and that particular day is something that which is, which comes under the unfavorable day of that individual. So from that level point, I think that if, uh, the specific day for you know specific uh, surgery, if not have been fixed, that would have been much better for uh, uh, the patient or people concerned for you know such surgery or healthcare. I wonder <clears throat> when you are looking at the patient and saying, okay, you need a knee surgery, and this is a good day for it. You should have it on this day. Do you also look at the surgeon and determine whether it's a good day for that surgeon to be operating? Is that part of the process? Actually, it does. Even, you know, for the surgeon, you know, it is important to know that whether, you know, that particular day, you know, like in a week, there is one particular day that is going to be a, a bad or unfavorable for this surgeon. So maybe, you know, I'm not very really sure about, you know, the practitioner, you know, what's believed is very important. But, you know, from my point, you know, it is also very beneficial to, you know, like what such major surgery on that particular day, you know, he, he, he might rather take a one-day break. <laughs> you know, I, I wonder, as we're speaking, and Dave spoke about the non-local process and we talk about all the influences in the universe and they were cells and quantum. How far out do we extend something like this? We talk about the patient. It may be a good day for that patient. Then we talk about the surgeon. Is it a good day for the hospital? Is it a good day to be in India to have that? Do we have to worry or think about what's happening in Europe at the time of this? Where, where does it end or where does it start? Yeah, normally this, you know, I'm considering just uh, with the weekdays and for an individual, not from, you know, globally, just, you know, for individual that, you know, like for each individual, there's a good and bad days. So if the individual, you know, really get the good days to go for that surgery, say that if somebody born in, in the year of a horse, I would say that Wednesday is not a favorable day for that person. So you know, if there is hospital where he has to undergo surgery and their only surgery is done on Wednesday, then, you know, he's going to be just helpless. That kind of thing I'm just considering. So what question would you ask of us 
in terms of the way we practice, how we can change or what we should look at? Yeah, this is, you know, like from my sort of, you know, idea that just in case if there is uh, a day which is not really fixed in terms of, you know, doing surgeries. I have come to learn uh, from, you know, some European countries that, you know, one lady came to me asking for that, oh, I have to go for a knee surgery on Friday because, you know, Friday is the only day where she can do knee surgery. So that kind of, you know, fixed day for, you know, certain thing, I think it would be better if such thing is not really fixed, such day, yeah. Dave, you practice surgery mm -hmm. and you practice as a sangoma. Do you ever bring that into consideration? If someone needs an operation, do you uh, analyze that or do you determine that based on the patient if they want it or they care about it or not? A couple of things. Firstly, if I'm concerned about it, I will go and get, do a divination to see should the patient have surgery at all, you know. Uh, is this the best form of treatment? And then if they, if it says no, then I'll, I'll cancel it. Or I'll say, you know, I probably won't tell them I'm going to operate on them until I've done that. Mm. Uh, then the patient may come. In fact, I'm getting patients anyway who come to me for, for consultation and I'll say, you know, I've got this uh, condition and the doctor wants to operate on me. Uh, what should I do? And sometimes the bones will say, fine, go ahead. And other times it'll say, absolutely not, don't do it. Uh, frequently, I know one instance, a nurse friend of mine didn't want to take tamoxifen because she was interested in alternative medicine for, for breast cancer treatment. And the bones said, take tamoxifen, you know. So they're very much in favor of Western medicine because it's, it's magical. But, the, you know, it doesn't mean that all... And sizes fit all, and uh, sometimes I have patients coming to me with their two or three different options. I get as much information as I possibly can, not only from the records but from their doctors, and then come up with a question because the question has to be very, very defined. Once you have the question uh, with very few variables, you can get a pretty good answer about it. So, you know, that also happens. Occasionally, I get a dream. I had a dream about a month ago about a surgical procedure, which I changed. I still did the procedure, but I changed the whole approach because of the dream told me this is not going to look like this. It's going to look like that. Told me the, the anatomy was different, so I changed the, the whole approach. So, yeah, I listened to my ancestors because yeah. they send me the information. Interesting. So, so Dave, you listen to your ancestors. Yeah. Uh, sitting. Sorry. Um, Dave, you listen to your ancestors uh, to let you know uh, the outcome, basically, or for your clients. Now, Siring, you you read the charts, the stars, the moon. So, but is there any involvement in also the spirit world that helps assist you in the decisions that you are sharing? Yeah, first of all, I would like to uh, uh, really, you know, appreciate Dave, you know, for uh, considering, you know, divination before, you know, go for any kind of surgery, you know, that we really would very much love it because, you know, it has really a lot of things to do it. 
because you know like normally in buddhism and in astrological practice we always say that you know before going for anything it's really very good to you know go for divination to decide you know whether that you know decision or that path is really going to work or not so i really very much appreciate it and i'm yeah can i answer that i think what happens with astrology although i don't know about it is that you get information outside of the charts so mm -hmm. i would suspect that when she reads the charts you're not just reading the chart something is coming to you kind of like a tarot card but much more sophisticated that is telling you information that makes you maybe look at the chart a little bit differently about the person um, but i don't know that's a question would you say that yeah, normally, normally when we do the uh, chart, we uh, our you know calculation you know or interpretation is based mainly on you know date, time, and place of you know one's birth. But together with that, you know, we also include you know own sort of experience you know dealing with you know meeting many people. Yeah, so experience is very important and also very you know important to know from you know like. Chart is not something that, you know, we are going to deal with, you know, one single sort of, you know, thing, but we have to really focus on whole, uh, whole chart to know about the whole, you know, thing that is going to happen, you know, with the individual, since we are considering more the individual based on individual date, time, and place of birth. One of the things that made me become a medical guide was realizing the complexity of medicine today within every type of disease. There's multiple types of treatments that you can look at. And then you add to that the uh, other medicines, other healing systems around the world. It becomes very complex for people. So how does someone like myself, uh, if I'm trying to guide somebody to make a decision and now the first part, the Western medicine part, may be the easiest, actually, where if somebody has a problem with their heart and it's a valve, then that part is simple. We need to change the valve or do something. But then we come to the spiritual part, the holistic part, uh, and we have throwing the bones, we have astrology, we have intuitives, we have dreams analysis. How far should people go before they make a decision? Sometimes we look now and we, and we realize that we have so many choices, it's tougher for us when we just had one choice. So now that we have multiple choices, how does someone decide between throwing the bones or a medical intuitive or an astrologer? Anybody? anybody? <clears throat> I'll step in. <clears throat> so one of the common themes that I keep hearing here is again and again that we're all interested in the subjective aspect of healthcare and um, it's something that we all seem to value very much that we are all interested in treating the person and not the condition in Chinese medicine for myself we don't treat all headaches the same way we have to take into consideration the constitution of the person which includes from my perspective what is happening in their inner world so from from the way that I work with my patients, I am not the only one making a decision 
on their health care. It is participatory medicine. And what that means is that I'm also facilitating their own education on how to look within, whether it is through a contemplative practice of meditation, or it's dream work, or it's their own divination practice of throwing the I Ching that we all can take our own inner authority and uh, really listen within so that that inner healer, that the archetype of the inner healer is constellated. And that can come through multiple forms. So um, that's that's my focus and where I think that uh, I see and hear from my patients that that's what they are deeply longing is the connection that they're, they're missing with their own inner uh, sense of knowing. So it seems like what you're saying is, um, and I find this as a medical guide also, that sometimes people come to me to find out the answers and they really have the answers. They just want to be able to express it and have someone believe it and agree with it. Um, does anybody have another thought on that? I think it's also important to <clears throat> be sure that you go to a good whoever it is, astrologer, medical guide, uh, in medical intuitive. Uh, they're not all the same, you know. It's like you want to go to a good neurosurgeon, and not all neurosurgeons are the same. Um, so I think, yeah, by all means, tap into the inner resources, but sometimes you need outside help mm-hmm. and uh, be sure that, you know, you're not going to go to any crystal ball gazer or any astrologer. You have to kind of do your homework and shop around. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So, Callie, do you have a question? If I were to really consider what I value most from the Buddhist tradition and the Tibetan tradition is <clears throat> your deep understanding of bringing the wisdom and compassion together. And I'm just curious how that manifests in medicine and astrology. It, it really, you know, uh, does manifest. And, uh, you know, just knowledge is uh, not important. But, mm-hmm. you know, based on, you know, inner value and Buddhism, then, you know, we can treat a patient or benefit uh, the suffering, you know, very much uh, in the better way. Then you know, then just you know, using our you know just the knowledge. Mm-hmm. So now, well, from Tibetan medicine point of view, compassion is the tram cut. <laughs> really, it's a tram cut. And uh, when we talk about the ethics of a physician from Tibetan medicine point of view, that's the thirty-first chapter of the second tantra. Uh, one of the quality that the physician should have next to intelligence is the compassionate mind. If you are not compassionate, the work of a physician is to benefit others. The very word medicine in Tibetan means men, men, M-E-N, men. The synonym of a man is to benefit. So since our work is to benefit others, it's always we need to have a compassion because if you're not compassion, how can you go in the field and help others? And Thai compassion is to benefiting oneself. So the very modus operandi of Tibetan medicine is to remain healthy, is to stay long, to bear the fruit of long life, health, and spiritual enhancement. 
and spiritual enhancement is nothing but realizing the joy and happiness of being helped to others. And one of the methods, as, let me also tell you, the Tibetan medicine has a strong alienation with Buddhism. So Tibetan medicine strongly talk about the four equanimity, four immeasurable, sorry, four immeasurable uh, um, methods. So this is uh, immeasurable joy, immeasurable love, immeasurable equanimity, and this. So in this, love is very important. Compassion, immeasurable compassion. Without these two, you can't go forward. You can't just think of benefiting others. So that's the very vital life force of a Tibetan medicine, being compassionate. And it says, It says, you should look at the tiny insect as oneself with compassionate mind. So no need to talk about other human beings. Even to a tiny insect crawling on the floor, you should look at it with compassionate mind. So without compassion in your heart, you're just a pretender if you go out in the field to help others, and particularly when they're suffering. Would you say that... Um in someone deciding to become a Tibetan medicine practitioner, wants to go to medical school in Tibet to be a Tibetan healer. Is that part of the process? They look for people that are compassionate or, and, or do they teach this in the training about bringing the compassion to the practice? To be frankly, to um, tell you, uh, being compassionate is something which we really don't need to teach. It's in our blood. Your parents tell you at home, be kind to others, be living to others, don't hurt. Even when I send my boys to school, I always tell them, don't hurt anybody. Help your younger students, a student in a sense, uh, other school fellow who are younger to you. We always say, it's always, it's in the lips of every parents, being compassionate being loving. It's always there. You don't need to teach, but you have to be mindful and compassionate. So the necessity, the importance, the value of compassion is always there. So when you studied about medicine, that was given extra weightage. So therefore, when you talk about the ethics of physician, without being compassionate, you can't do so therefore, when like uh, Dr. Kelly was telling about the interdependence, once you know the relationship, how we can understand about the lack of self-intrinsic nature, then about the impermanence, the emptiness. So then we realize how we need, how important it is to be compassionate to others. So therefore, uh, it's it's part and parcel of a Tibetan medicine. You, and Tibetan culture, family value, everything. You, you really don't need to teach, but you need to emphasize strongly, particularly when you're going on a field where you're dealing with a patient, sick people, suffering a lot. Definitely. Great answer. <laughs> Dave, do you have a question? Yeah, I do. You know, um, I'm interested in part of compassion, I'm sure, is forgiveness, but I know that in, in my African paradigm of of healing, a lot of spiritual diseases are because of unhappy ancestral spirits 
who've done bad things that have created very bad karma for themselves. In my understanding, African understanding, actually, you know, a Kabbalistic understanding, uh, and other understanding, Christian understanding, you know, uh, is if you are forgiven from that by the person who has done the bad thing to you, you're released from that karma. So I wondered, we have special techniques of diagnosing it and then treating it, which is usually some sort of forgiveness ritual other than a sacrifice. I just wondered how you deal with uh, um, that kind of sickness because I see it a lot in my practice. Um, there's people who've been, maybe it's not so prevalent where you are, but maybe there's been abusive relationships uh, from their parents or grandparents or uncles or aunts or friends, and now that person is on the other side of the veil having to encounter that karma, and they can be released from that karma if they are forgiven, but they have no way of getting that information, so they they remain sick, maybe incessant headaches, maybe other spiritual diseases. Uh, do you, How do you deal with that? Uh, also in Tibetan medicine, we do have... Uh, uh, section on when we classify disease that the part of disease which is influenced by spirits so our understanding of spirit is partly different from uh, how you present the spirits in Tibetan medicine we uh, of, uh, of course the spirits has different nature when we talk about a pathetic disorder there are other spirits which is more dominant on children and then when we talk about the elemental factors, then there are spirits which dominates the elements, the earth, water, tree, forest, whatever, blah, blah, blah. So this is a different uh, context. So generally, uh, when we see, uh, maybe astrology have different way of understanding, but generally, for lay understanding, uh, we don't uh, specifically go to ancestral spirit, but uh, we say like it's, spirit influenced by the water spirit or earth spirit or you might have polluted or contaminated a pee in a pond which is on your backyard so the spirit that protects that pond is suffering so therefore you are affected so this kind of things happen and uh, when you talk about the ancestral misdeed that befalls on the other generation could be related because when you talk about karma so karma can be of one's own karma because of what you did in your past life, many past life, yeah? And your karma has a strong connection with your parents, your grandparents. So obviously, maybe not so dominant, but in part, you do have a karmic connection with your parents and grandparents. Therefore, you also subsequently have acquired a karmic share of having to suffer that because of your connection with that particular parents. So keeping in view of that context of karmic relationship, uh, it's quite uh, acceptable of what you say about the ancestral spirit influence. Otherwise, in lay term, we do not specifically say as an ancestral spirit that continues to harm you. Yeah, I might say, I might uh, add uh, one single thing on that. You know, we might not say very much about ancestral uh, spirit, but rather, you know, from astrological point of view, you know, when we go through individual horoscopes, you know, from there we come to learn that for some, they have a very serious 
health issues and you know like although undergoing a lot of treatment they don't really get rid of you know that problem and then uh while having conversation with that particular patient you know we you know i have come to learn that 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 has to do with the naga and please explain that yeah you know what i have uh, you know known from that person is they have killed a lizard after which you know he had that problem mm-hmm. so we always consider lizard frog snakes all this from naga category so we always suggest them to do naga pujas or you know prayers or remedies and also you know like you know based on their belief you know whatever is possible you know that has to be done in order to get rid of that uh the problem or the disturbance you know created to that environment or you know that particular so we consider that very much in terms of you know spirit of naga especially so may i ask in what form and like how how would you rid that person of that spirit or entity or or negative energy yeah that is something that you know because of having killed that lizard so he got that particular problem it you know like he he can't walk he just you know in his bed so a kind of paralyzed so we only what we can do is you know together with the treatment we suggest that to back burden from you know maybe if the lizard is really you know like no more but you know maybe somewhere or another you know the place where he did all this you know misconduct or you know so he can just go to that particular place and back burden for what he has you know done and together with that you know he can do you know other remedies which is related to the naga puja then that will surely bring changes in the medication that is what we believe from our tradition so apologize <coughs> yeah just apologize for forgiveness yeah not really you know killing uh, the lizard you know intentionally but you know just a, a kind of incident that happened the case we do have rituals and offerings made on that particular site so that if you know like you're constructing a house and you happen to fell down a tree and after that uh, something's always happening bad in the family the father has fallen sick or mother has broken her leg or something like that so you know there's the inkling that uh, it's not only the physical body like uh, imbalances uh, that's making all this havoc but beyond that there's something happening and then we also consult the astrology what's really happening and then we also have divine advices from great lamas and limbushes so then normally they would ask us to read some scriptures and do offering and go to that site where you assume might have been the cause of this disturbance and then uh, do a offering in this way then i get the, not we don't say to get forgiveness but to appease the spirit to appease the spirit mm. Mm.
in, in Western medicine, again, as Dave and I have spoken about, we have the double-blind placebo-controlled studies. Uh, but, but still, we're trying to improve quality and, and have good outcomes. How do you, in Tibetan medicine, make sure that you have the quality of successes or and how do you deal with the failures in terms of Tibetan medicine? Well, uh, if you're asking me this question, keeping in view of uh, view of all the researches that uh, clinical research is doing, then we also follow strictly follow all the protocols of double bind, uh, randomized, and all this placebo. We do strictly follow that, and. Uh, if your question is coming from another parameter of how do we have the consistency of the standardization about the pharmaceutical products of Tibetan medicine and their other herbal products, then let me tell you, we do have a department, quality control department, who checks, who keep a very keen eye on each and every raw ingredients that are used in our uh, pharmacy and herbal uh, research department. So apart from these uh, researchers undergoing un to this strong scrutiny, once the herbs have come out in the end product, they also need to pass this quality control section so that the consistency of the standardized and the product is maintained. And the third part of your question, how do you manage with the failure? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. That's unheard of. <laughs> but you know, Tibetan medicine, uh, because I represent Tibetan medicine, so I'll say from Tibetan medicine, we say, socha, socha, sonam the day. When we are dealing with patient, we say karmic influence and karmic result plays a very important role. Dr. Kelly is seeing me, and Dr. Dave is seeing me, and Dr. Kelly has given me the she has made the best possible diagnosis. She has given me the best possible prescription. However, she's 110% confident of my problem and the treatment she has offered, but I'm not coming out of my suffering. Then she would very willingly refer me to Dr. Dave. Mm -hmm. Dr. Dave probably will come to the same conclusion of diagnostic yeah, and might probably give me the same medication. But within a couple of days, I will be healthy, back in my feet. Why? Same medication, same diagnosis. It's because of the karmic relation. Mm -hmm. I don't have the mm -hmm. karmic, uh, what do you say, imprint mm -hmm. to be healed from her. Neither does Dr. Kelly has a karmic imprint to heal me. But I have a strong affinity of my karmic influence to be healed from him and Dr. Dave equally has a karmic influence to heal me. So therefore, this happens. Mm. Otherwise, no failure. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. But that adds, boy, that adds a whole number of questions and, and thoughts about choosing the right doctor. Uh, yeah. That's why we need medical guides, to yeah. find the karmic yes. relationships between them. Mm. My next question is that... In Western medicine, we usually have a prescribed medication for a prescribed disease, and we know how to give it, et cetera, et cetera. And Dave, in your practice and in your practices, um, you also have herbals that you use. 
And people are now trying to look at supplements and herbs and go away from other processes to get away from pharmaceutical, the Western pharmaceutical uh, medications and look for herbs. How do you, this is a two-part question, of course. One is, how do you make the choice at certain times whether to give someone a prescribed medication from Western point of view, a pharmaceutical medication, or an herbal formula, or a combination of those? And let's just leave it at that for a moment. I think this question is cited to Dr. Tafe because I don't have choices to select from school <laughs> pharmaceutical. You uh, don't give... Western pharmaceutical medications? No, no, no. Oh, I did not know that. Not at all. That changes everything from my question. But I okay, could, so I could still to ask shift. it to Dave, though. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, how do you make that decision when you know that there's a pharmaceutical drug that's prescribed normally, but there's an herbal remedy that might even be better, maybe less side effects or something like that? How do you make that decision? Now, in truth, when you look at the, the, the herbal remedies and you stand them up against double-blind studies, they don't really compare that favorably. Now, I don't know, know enough to tell you all the details, but I know that every time I read a double-blind study about salt palmetto, for instance, and all the herbals that I've been very interested in for prosthetic disease, they don't hold up with a double-blind study. So I would resort to Western medicine. But there might, no, but that I'm assuming is a, a physical disease. Somebody's got a big prostate and I know what I can use. And it's very rare that I would go to a herbal thing. Now, if it's not responding, then I might want to use a herbal thing. But I've been, I've done that in the past and I haven't had much success with it. Um, so I think I'm really distinguishing between two types of things. There's the mechanical thing that really does very well with Western medicine have your appendix out, you have your bypass or your stent or, you know, you have a bone fracture fixed. But there's other things that go beyond that that, you know, we are dealing with in, in other ways, different techniques, but probably the same, the same goal that are not recognized by Western medicine. And I think that's the big problem because people are going untreated. For instance, there's something called the twaster illness, an ancestral illness. If you are called by a spirit to come and heal, you know, I'd be interested to know how these folks were called to that. You usually get unexplainable diseases, headaches, uh, abdominal pain, neck ache. Go to a doctor, you get a full workup, they find nothing wrong with you, they think you're crazy. You go to a diviner, he says you've been caught by the ancestors, and unless you start to get initiated, you won't get better. Mm -hmm. Or alternatively, talk to them and tell them why. Mm -hmm and maybe delay it, but you're going to have to do it eventually, if not this lifetime, then the next lifetime. With me, it was incessant migraines. And I resisted it, you know, so I went from Sangoma to Sangoma and always the same thing, you know, you must be initiated. It was a very strange idea to me. So there I was a Western guy in a Western paradigm who was pulled into uh, an indigenous paradigm by experience, subjective experience. So you you either got to be stupid or you've got to listen, you know. <laughs> you've got to listen to the messages. When you listen to the messages, you start to realize that there's a whole other conversation going on somewhere else that has nothing to do with, you know, herbs or, or medicine. It's a spiritual disease. And, you know, Sangoma say we go to the source of the problem. We go to the source. And we eradicate the source, and that's what, you know, the, the issue is which is, I think, what we've been talking about here mostly today, just in different language. 
Uh, and if you go to the source, you know, then those diseases you can usually get rid of. You know, I would say most of the time we can get rid of them. Sometimes not. We haven't gone into the, you know, the, the whole conversation of negative entities, which is a whole other conversation on its own. Those can be very difficult to deal with, you know. Ancestral problems are easier to deal with, with forgiveness, with rituals and so on. But negative, I noticed in one of the, the planned books, there's, uh, there's actually, I think, delphinium, which is used for demons. You know, that's all other conversation, which is totally out of, the, you know, if you try to talk to a Western doctor about that kind of thing, think you're completely nuts and have you certified <laughs> but some of these negative entities uh exist and you know i know they deal with them we deal with them but nobody recognized this in this paradigm do you have any thoughts on that i completely agree completely agree so i'm curious um dave when with the tibetan culture the people who come to your um, organization they 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 know when they're coming in that it's medical plus astrology for their diagnosis here in this western hemisphere is quite different right they come to a doctor usually it's like they'd like that quick fix right so how do for actually for both of you your patients because it is about spiritual it's about working within how do your patients feel when they find out you're not just a urologist and like that they have this other option of finding out um, if this is the right time or if it could be another matter that is causing this imbalance in their body. 90% of them are not interested. <clears throat> it's maybe 5 or 10% that are and then they will, they will come to me or maybe I'll refer them to somebody else you know, mm -hmm. who's got the skills. Um, and you know, that's the problem. Um, so most folks are just not really, they want the silver bullet, they want the medicine, and if you can't provide it as best you can, then, you know, they'll probably go elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Now, some of them come to the office because of what you were talking about. They get a more compassionate uh, in acceptance than they do in other offices. They come because they just like it in the office. There's something intangible. Adrian is in the front desk. She's amazing. Everybody loves her. She's the front line for me. Uh, when when she's with them, I'm already ahead of the game, you know. But you know the, that's in, true. Uh, but, but in, in answer, in answer to you know the doctor's dilemma, they have to deal with you know I call them the dreaded M's: uh, managed care, Medicare, Medical. Uh, malpractice, you know, often a malfunctioning marriage, a huge mortgage, you know. That's a double so they, you know, they're under the gun because then they have to, you know, they have to, the tail is wagging the dog. They're not in control of their own destiny. So, uh, you know, what you were talking about earlier is the doctors are wounded by their profession and therefore they have trouble with compassion because they've been taught to dissociate themselves with the, from their patients Whereas most other traditional healers are wounded healers and they, because of the wound, they become healers. But here we have a bunch of healers that wanted to be healers and went in there with very good intention, most of them, and then are converted into this other thing that happens to them, not by their choice most of the time. 
So, you know, talking about compassion, we have to have compassion for the medical profession because of what it's undergoing. That's a very good point. Yeah. Uh, I have a question based on that. Uh, the Tibetans, they grow up in the culture understanding Tibetan medicine. So we have this culture that Dave has alluded to about we have expectations and uh, we have to have them met. How is it, how does a Tibetan come into see a doctor? Do they come in with the same type of expectations or do they have a completely different viewpoint? Well, uh, this is one very important factor uh, which I see and which I completely agree why uh, many Western doctors are supposed uh, to be very cold and insensitive to patient because just like Dr. Dave was telling, the doctors come with very compassionate mind. They go in the field helping the patient get so much, uh, what do you say, in, engrossed with the emotion, pain of the patient. And then when something happens, the patient sues the doctor. So doctor too is a human being. He has a profession, he has a life, he has a family, he has a kids to raise and he has a wife to make happy, to please. So therefore, in such a circumstances, he is compelled to protect himself, to defend himself from falling into that gutter. So therefore, I think this is one factor which is making many Western doctors uh, appears that cold. Obviously, any doctor who go for profession of doctor 100% do it to benefit others. That I'm sure of it. Maybe only one person would go for the money they would earn from patients' check. So, Not anymore. Yeah. <laughs> then, then the uh, problem is in the Tibetan community and most Asian community, we don't have this problem. We don't have this problem because the patient, the doctors are so much revert for the compassion, for the noble work that they're doing and the capability of having the power of knowledge and power of skill to cure others. So they are so much revered. They, therefore, they don't harbor any grudge. They don't harbor any doubt. They don't harbor any, uh, what is it, reluctance. So anyhow, even if, as Dr. Dave says, one of the M, malfunction does happen, they say, this happened to me, but he's also a human being. He didn't do it intentionally. So therefore, the doctors do not uh, has to fall in this gutter of being cold and insensitive. So we are lucky because we are in a situation where the patient comes with full faith. And uh, I'm sorry for the doctors in the West because they are compassionate, they are good, but the patient does not come with full faith and trust and acceptance that the doctor is human too. So this is where the problem actually lies. I think that's a great point. And playing off of that for just a moment, do you feel, and how do you feel about this, that when something does malfunction, it seems like in Western world, it's immediately the doctor's fault. I'm guessing in the Tibetan world, the others may take some responsibility of their own. What haven't I done totally to have the healing that I look for. Do you f agree with that or disagree? Yeah, it, it's again a very individual. 
they could be doctors who are very confident about what the treatment or therapy that he have given, and uh, then he might have uh, some solid reason to prove that this uh, why the why there is no sexes as expected. We would not obviously say malfunction, but maybe this this reason that uh, checked from gaining that uh, sex is expected. Because it's, uh, nobody would ha- intentionally harm others. A doctor sitting in a clinic receiving a patient with all these grievances, pain, crying, blood, blood. How could, they're already in such pain and agony. How could one think of, I mean, giving more pro- problem? So it's unthinkable. Unthinkable. So I do think that what has um, come to our culture right now is something that the Dalai Lama has been addressing with ethics and medicine and um, really trying to bridge this gap that we have. Um, And I do think that, unfortunately, there have been a very few Western medical doctors who have prescribed either medication or surgical procedures because of the financial benefits and rewards that they would receive from it. And unfortunately, that has given rise to a lot of ethical considerations and our legal system that's heavily burdened the the good doctors that are out there, which are far far more in number than those who are um, seeking financial gain. Um, But I think that you raise a very good point, and that is that every doctor I have met has, in the West, has this intention of helping. You know, that, that common ground of wanting and seeking out medical uh, training is because they want to benefit others. They, they truly do uh, see that. And maybe somewhere along the line, things get askew. Um, but I do think that that's why ethical boards on uh, hospitals, as well as all kinds of higher educational institutions, are really critical right now, because we're, we're constantly being challenged by financial gain. And this uh, this drive again that we have in the West is so divided about material it's seeking happiness from external sources rather than from within. It's interesting that you brought that up because on our hundredth show, it was on medical ethics and talking about that uh, with Sharon Hartline. Dave, did you want to? Make a comment on yeah, that? Yeah, it's interesting because you know, if you look at malpractice uh, cases, what usually creates the problem is a doctor is not compassionate, a doctor lies because you know they want to protect themselves, he doesn't care, he doesn't answer the calls, he doesn't follow up is what creates it. And uh, so the patient, uh, I think there's true that you know most patients are really fairly decent but then they get annoyed and then of course there's some money they can make out of it most doctors are okay and most patients are okay but the problem happens i think both sides where maybe it shouldn't happen because maybe the doctor just wasn't he was too fearful he was too worried about what's going to happen to him so this 
the sad thing is that you know it's, I kind of label it spiritual materialism. Now they're teaching you you must be compassionate. Why do they teach you that? Because you'll have less malpractice suits, your premiums will go down. You know, the MRIs you're talking about that now now we see that the brain is plastic, and Buddhist meditators have much bigger frontal lobes than anybody else. Well, I can have a big frontal lab too, and you know I can be better. Then they'll do it. You know, <laughs> yoga is the same thing. You know, you go to yoga, and it's just spiritual materialism, but it's still a good thing, and it's still better than no spirit. Um, but uh, it's so complex, and it's nice. Mm. I think so many aspects have come out in this talk that makes make you know we could go on. Mm -hmm. I do have another quick question before we're coming to the end. Uh, a doctor saying or admitting that they did something wrong to a patient. Now, I know that in Tibet there are no failures, but <laughs> I, I learned that today. So I may not even be able to ask you this question because it's something you've never encountered. But maybe you can expand yourself. Uh, is there? Do you think there's a difference in how we talk to our patients in terms of if we did something wrong, admitting we did something wrong, or... I made a mistake. Definitely, definitely. If you have consciously committed a mistake or if you realize that you have committed a mistake, then you have to come clear out of it. And as I told you, patients have a conception that doctor is a human being and to err is human and to forgive is divine. <laughs> and doctor, too, should be smart enough to accept his mistake. Dave, any thoughts on that? Well, you can't blame the doctors because look at the politicians. They all lie. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what do we do? We have to have another show, Magical yeah. Politician Tour. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we can do that. Yeah, and uh, talking in line with Dr. Kelly, I'm also very happy that uh, His Holiness the Dalai Lama's Mind and Life Institute, and every time there's a Mind and Life conference coming up, uh, I heard, because I had a good fortune to uh, attend as a listener, not, mm. not definitely as a speaker, listener to a couple of these events. So I've heard that a great number of enthusiasm from doctors and particularly young scientists are coming up. So whenever this is one of these mind and life conference, they're always stirred of spaces. So it's something very positive coming from the modern uh, scientist arena. I would say. And I'm also happy to inform Dr. Dave that probably very soon Mind and Life Conference is also reaching out to Africa. So last time when we had the Mind and Life in Dharamsala about uh, uh, the about mind, desire and craving. Uh, craving. So uh, His Holiness uh, extends his wish about also reaching out to Africa and very instantly, next day, we had responses coming from South Africa, and there's a big, big enthusiasm on that. So wonderful. I'm happy to share it here. Thank you for that. Normally on Magical Medical Tour, at the end of the show, we ask our guest for a health tip. But I would like to, since this is a different format, I would like to bring up a different uh, process. Is there anything that each of you learned today from the conversation, 
for the purposes of getting together that you didn't know before or you changed something that you thought differently? Dave? Well, I, I didn't know a lot of stuff, but I'm happy to hear that we're all on the same wavelength. You know, we're not only all one, as Caddy was saying, we're all one in the same medical basket. Kelly? Yeah, I would say um, I, I learned a great deal, um, primarily from both Sonam and Searing, because uh, I know Dave and I've been getting his medicine for a while, but um, I just so value and appreciate uh, the Tibetan medicine, wisdom in the community, and um, I just... Uh, I so value the the teachings that you all are are providing for us in the West now, and I I wish you the best, and I want to do whatever I can to help. So now, same here. I learned a lot, and I had a good time. I wish we had more, couple of more hours to sit <laughs> together. Anyhow, things that begins has to end. That's a cycle of life. So we pray for another meeting like this. And may truth prevail on earth. And peace be everywhere. Beautiful. Sarah? I have nothing more to add on, but I enjoy very much our gathering, and I have also learned a lot from this gathering. In that case, I would like to thank our guests, Sarah Chojam and uh, Dr. Dolma, and Dr. Hutter, and Dr. Humes, and of course... Christina and Segovia and all of Yoga Hub. We'd like to thank all of you for sharing your wisdom and expertise with us. And I always want to thank my healers and teachers for bringing me to where I am today. We look forward to another meeting like this. This will be Definitely. great. Uh, maybe we'll do it in your country next. Sure. Uh, but until that time, we look forward to another session in some part of the healthcare galaxy searching for optimal health. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I like that thought of going to Tibet and South Africa. It's <laughs> the magical medical tour. Yeah, it shall be. <laughs> Thank you all for blessing our community and honoring our community. It's been truly, truly an honor. Thank you. And of course, we'd love to thank Dr. Glenn Woolman as well for bringing together so many wonderful, wonderful beings to share their expertise with all of us, all of you out there in the global community. And uh, please uh, be sure to uh, connect with Dr. Glenn Woolman through his website at glennwoolman.com and be sure to look up his metaphor, Square Breath. And of course, um, if you scroll down on our page, we will, of course, have the websites and the organizations that you can connect with our speakers and find out a little bit more about each of them. Or you could also um, send in your comments and suggestions and questions uh, through the website at, uh, of course, yogahub.tv there. And be sure to click submit. Or you can call in at 818-LET'S-TALK. 818-LET'S-TALK. And be sure to leave your contact information so that we can get back to you. So anything you'd like to know, any suggestions, we'd love to hear from you. And uh, we will be sure to get your message over to any of our guests. So until next time, thank you for joining us. Namaste. Namaste.